0: So here we go, Life Jitsu, Art of Life, another episode. It's about almost 11 o'clock here in Vegas. Beautiful spring night. I think it's spring, right? 84 degrees or so. Wind, little wind going, palm trees. People are still out in one of the little districts talking and relaxing. So I'm just walking. Didn't didn't work out today. Usually I try to work out six seven days a week, but I've been a little bit busy. Had a late later night last night, which probably has me up a little late tonight. I like to be an early riser. I'd like to be up at 5 a.m. I've been up at 6 6:30 a.m. lately. Anyway, beautiful night. Perfect night to think a little, reminisce a little. One of the things I was thinking. I was thinking about the pain-pleasure principle, which I first pondered back during my days at the University of Maryland in philosophy classes. What's pain? What's pleasure? And it occurred to me that pleasure without pain is worth pennies on the dollar. That was a little phrase that I coined, and it makes a lot of sense to me. If you quote that, I like it, I think it's quotable If you do too, then please just give proper credit I really would appreciate that, it's always nice Whenever I uh, use something that is knowingly someone else's I like to give credit I think the world needs more of that and Einstein used to say Geniuses, young people to think you're a genius, hide your sources right? It's ironic that a genius would say that But a big fan of attribution credit. I think it gives the authorities, the experts, more credibility when you do that. When you uh, when you just sort of you know, it's it's a form of humility. Giving other people proper attribution is also a form of humility. So I just find people a lot more credible when they do that. Anyway, pleasure relies on pain when you think hey why is there pain and why does it exist why is it in the world well god apparently knew what he she it was doing serves a function otherwise pleasure would just be like vanilla ice cream just be so same old same old that it would cease to have an impact it would cease to have have power cease to have to be appreciated Things are appreciated when there's an opposite. Things can be defined when they can be compared to other things. You can appreciate good people better when you've seen bad people, when you've seen evil people. You can appreciate a 50 or a 60 year old woman you come across who still has this bright megawatt smile has this light in her eyes. Can you imagine that optimistic, peaceful woman? Can you imagine what her eyes might have seen? What she might have lived through? The struggles, the burdens. She might have lost a kid. She might have lost her parents young. She might have been born in untold incredible poverty, a war zone. And yet, managed to protect her smile in this world. It's amazing. Some people, even as they're older, they're happier. They're like, hey, these are the best years of my life. And they have gratitude in their eyes and love in their hearts. It's amazing because this life will beat you up and bust you up. And you become a lot more grateful when you see both sides of the coin. I mean, I say that with with Baltimore. I mean, I grew up, There the dads were nowhere to be found. I mean, I remember my first girlfriend, I was thinking, hey, I can't wait to go home and and she takes me to her house and I meet her mom. It didn't even occur to me that she might have a father to meet because the dads were so missing in action and half the moms weren't around. So I really value when I see people and I see that they're Family-oriented. I know that like, gets a bad rap. Oh, it's so old-fashioned. It's boring. I get it. It's a beautiful, precious thing. Cause I certainly didn't have it, and the kids in the zip codes where I grew up didn't have it very much. So, what a precious thing! I value that, cause I've seen the opposite. I've seen the other extreme in it. It, the fruit doesn't. The fruit rarely falls far from the tree. When you see all these problems and these these ills and all of the, the killings and the lack of respect for life in some of the rougher zip codes and even in average normal zip codes here where people i mean you know a lot of crazy stuff going on drug addictions and everything else and fruit seldom falls far from the tree usually a lot of problems in those zip codes and usually the family structure the moms maybe aren't don't have their act together the dads are a lot of times, nowhere to be found anyway, you start to appreciate things. So, same thing with God, whatever you want to call it, I like to call it that force, that all-powerful force, that higher force, God knew what he or it was, or she, I won't offend anybody, was doing when he, she, or it said, hey, pain and pleasure. And we operate in this dimension and we, a lot of times we're only operating, we're trying to put the whole mosaic, all the pieces together, but we only see part of the puzzle in in this dimension. A lot of times we don't get to see everything. It's a to be continued. And maybe in the next dimensions, maybe you get a broader picture. But there's a method to the madness, I think, that of the, of the pain, because even if you think in the martial arts journey, I mean, what is it? All of the pleasure, people go through tremendous pain just to win. Through tremendous pain to avoid an even worse pain of losing, of being humiliating, of being embarrassed. They will run through any wall, 80-pound sandbags, or a person on their back running up hills and just excruciating, quasi-torture in training just to taste victory, just to not taste defeat, just to get the job done. Some people aren't afraid of pain, and they realize, hey, that pain is that path. Pain is the way up the mountain. A lot of times. And it's risk-reward, right? You want the great rewards. It's usually tremendous sacrifice. Tremendous what? Pain. You're not willing to pay that price... Which is usually pain, inconvenience, sacrifice, denying, deprivation. Those who are not willing to pay that heavy price, it's hard to reap heavy rewards. And even if you if you're not willing to pay that price, even if let's say you get a helicopter ride to the top of the mountain, okay? Everybody else is carrying some people are carrying hundred-pound backpacks up that mountain, some people are carrying two hundred pounds. Backpacks up the mountain. Some people getting a helicopter ride up it, right? Rich, privileged, lucky, whatever, right? But there's the problem for the people getting helicopter rides, people getting free ride, Head Start, too much of an advantage, right? What happens to your appreciation for the view? Getting up the mountain, a lot less appreciation. Because the appreciation depends on the price you paid. If you didn't pay a heavy price, you tend to not appreciate it. It's just the way that it works. It's even like that sometimes, a lot of times in business with clients. If you have a very well-to-do client and you are charging them a dirt cheap price, you would think that's a good thing. It's usually a bad thing. It's a mistake. Because they will not value it. They're not going to, to buy Hyundais. They're not going to... I mean, nothing wrong with a Hyundai. Hyundai can be a great car. But there are a lot of people there's a catch. If you're a coach or whatever and you're 20 bucks an hour, I mean, people are automatically thinking, hey, well, we're looking for the creme de la creme. You can't be it. You're a you're, you're Walmart price. You're a Hyundai price. Maybe you're solid, whatever, but you can't be the best because you don't value yourself. Now, because you don't value yourself, we have a hard time valuing you. We have a hard time having maximum faith in you and believing you're top of the pyramid. It's just normal psychology. People pay more. Yeah, maybe they're getting screwed over but they pay more they tend to think I'm getting something better this coffee must be better it's twice the price of whatever so in any event I think a lot about that I was thinking of something I was thinking back to childhood earlier today and this is kind of fascinating to me when I was growing up, my grandparents used to, no matter where I was, I lived with different families and my mom was around sometimes and she was not around a lot of times. My dad was never around. But wherever I was living, my grandparents had a way. They knew where I was and many a Sunday they would come and pick my brother Tony and I up and take us to Catholic Church and we would go to the service with them and listen to the, the priest. Put a dollar in the basket when they passed it around. And then my grandparents would drop us off after that. And whenever my grandparents or my aunt or even my mom, whenever they would see us and then drop us off, leave. The last thing they would always say, they'd give you a kiss. And they would say, um, bye bye, I love you. And they would say it really quick, bye bye, I love you, bye bye, I love you. Bye I love you. That was the sound off. That was so embedded in our families. Bye I love you. And at a young age, it was an interesting thing. I became so desensitized and even disgusted by bye I love you. I, I mean, I, I probably wasn't even 10 years old and I was already sick of it. Because I realized even at a young age... My family members are just saying it. They're not feeling it. They're just reflexively saying it. There was no force. There was no deep feeling behind it. I didn't feel loved by any of them. I didn't. And if we were so loved by them, then I don't think my brother and I would have been bounced around living with nine different families. I don't think we would have. We we really didn't feel loved except for one family which ironically was in the worst possible neighborhood the worst neighborhood had mice we had no heat and that was the one place where i did feel loved it was the poorest that was the poorest neighborhood and we were eating scrapple and pig's feet and 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 pickled juice and drinking sugar water it was crazy but they were very loving people the boone family pop boone and kathleen boone interesting people very loving people, that was it, otherwise I didn't feel loved, so my grandparents, my mom, my aunt Bob, I love you, I'm like well, I didn't feel it though, I mean my aunt was extremely generous, extremely extremely generous, had a beautiful heart, but I just didn't really feel loved, I didn't and so I thought <coughs> excuse me I thought, well just stop saying this, and then I I stopped saying it to everyone, so I would just be like they'd be like, alright Bob, I love you, and I'm supposed to say it and I was just like, mm, okay, going bye, and And why? Because it had lost its meaning to me. You want, if it had been said more sparingly, if it had been used more sparingly, if there had been more emotion attached to it or more ceremony or more something or if there had been a better example set throughout the week or whatever, I would have bought in probably. But I stopped buying it at a young age. And that's interesting because that whole love thing, I mean, at the end of the day, man, that is, that's really what we all, I mean, if you want a kid to grow up confident and whole and give them their best shot, love them, make them feel loved, teach them or set the example of how they can love themselves. Because you want to go out now, it's like everything that I do, I just left a client tonight and she's been having some some struggles, and she's not feeling a zest for life, and she's going through the motions, and trying to find meaning, and not feeling right physically, wants to get in better shape, wants to go do hiking, wants to cycle, but doesn't feel up to it anyway. And I'm thinking, and I've known them for years, and I'm like, I just want to love people more. How do you love other people more? How do you, when you walk in the room... Bring light into the room. Bring love into the room. Sounds cheesy, but how about that? How about being the person, you come in, you step in, the room just got better. Maybe you don't say anything, just the aura, just the energy, just the light, the light in your eyes, the the posture. And people who don't even know you admire you or think, or they feel comfortable with you. How do you do that? You do that. You grow you constantly grow love for yourself and then be mindful and say, "Hey, I want to love other people more. I want to care more for them." And when this is the irony, when you learn to love yourself more, life gets better. And when you learn to love other people more, life gets better. When you learn to love other people more and build them up and make them feel good, those simple moments turn into amazing moments. A normal conversation, a normal dinner, a walk with them be the most wonderful thing because you're you're loving them. You're, you're, You're interested in what they have to say. You're interested in them overcoming obstacles. You're interested in their stories, You're interested in their heartache and picking them up and giving them an encouraging word or at least listening to them, which is all some people want. Just loving yourself more and loving other people more And sitting there and appreciating, like, my friend, I mean, he's in a wheelchair and the pain he has every night and at work when this guy is working 40 hours a week with with his physical condition, all the surgery he's had, he might as well be working 120 hours a week. Like, his 40-hour work week is like 120 for anybody else. And midday, he's exhausted, his back hurts, he can't move, and... And I'm just trying to see life through his eyes. And, and and I love him. And I'm like, I want him... Is there something I can say? Is there an idea I can give you? I love him. I want to help him solve the problem. I want him to feel like, Hey, I love you. I care about you. And it makes... When you have that, if you're around good people, decent people... Of course, if you're with somebody who's not grateful... I just had someone like that I was dealing with. Not grateful. I mean, bent over backwards for this guy. Bent over backwards. Not grateful. People told me year and a half ago, I had a big user, big time user, uses people. I like to, I always try to size people up myself, and I don't go by what their reputation is. I I like to give everybody a chance, and I like to form my own conclusions, so, so you can say, hey, that person's terrible, whatever, whatever. Normally, if I like them, I don't care what other people say, because everybody's different, different chemistries. Well, maybe you don't like them because your chemistries just don't align, whatever. That doesn't make somebody bad. Everybody's very few people most people have something bad you know there's somebody out there the greatest person in the world there's somebody out there that's saying terrible things about him right spreading things about him that's just the way the world is so a lot of times you can't always go by the scouting report because you got to consider the source different people have different scouting reports on people so i like to form my own conclusions i trust my intuition a lot and um but anyway i think that's that's the uh That's the game changer in this whole equation is um, learning to to love other people more. And that starts with loving yourself. It's the most important relationship. The only guarantee you have, you're going to wake up with yourself. If you can't go through life, just like I'm doing right now with this walk, if you can't enjoy your own company... You're going to have trouble. If you always have to be around people, I think you're going to have trouble. It should be a balance, yin and yang. Right? When we really love and invest in other people, it tends to breed a good karma. It comes back to us. And and sometimes it can help you too, right? If you're feeling really down, whatever. Sometimes the answer is, go help other people. Go find somebody who's in a worse spot than you. Because that's the thing I've learned is like, you can change your perspective. I used to be very like my relationship with money. I used to think, hey, money's almost like money's bad. Like people who have money must be doing, there's got to be a catch. They must be doing whatever. And money doesn't bite happiness. And, and then, you know, be broke. Be this what I call the starving artist syndrome. Go through life. Be super talented. Have great ideas. Be brilliant. And still be starving. Go through that for a number of years. It's horrible. The stress of how am I gonna pay my rent? You, you don't have money to take a, a girlfriend out. Whatever. You, you're wearing the same clothes, you don't you don't even like the clothes. It, you can't pay for a new computer, you need that for work. Whatever. Wanna go on this to this certain conference that could help you, help you with work, but you can't afford it. You have to ask people for money. Try to raise money, but that's really hard. And then you're just handcuffed, can't do a bunch of stuff. Sucks. Go through that for a while. You start to really appreciate money. Start to really appreciate it. Because why? Because now you realize what's really bad. You know what's what's evil is being desperate. You know what's bad is being desperate. You know what's bad not being able to pay your bills. You know what's bad uh, having a bad credit score. Once you go through those things, you live those things, right? Okay, now change your opinion. Change your relationship with money. Because now you know. You didn't know what you don't know. Some of those people, my mother and other people, you look at the refrigerators, jam-packed with food. Jam-packed. My mom's refrigerator. I mean, you used to open She'd say, hey, can you grab the, whatever, the salad dressing for me. You'd open her refrigerator and boom. It's the most overwhelming thing ever. Uh, I can't see anything in this fridge. It is just overflowing with food. Where? You could spend 20, 25 minutes trying to dig through that fridge, trying to find that salad dressing. And you're like, what is going on in her head to, have, to, to be crowding and hoarding this much stuffing, this much food in a refrigerator? But then you realize how they were younger and they didn't have money and so it's a, psychological thing where she just always wanted to have more food and she was taught you know there's starving kids in Africa so you can't throw any food away and so there you go you got this disgusting overflowing refrigerator because this they had went through, she had went through something in her mind that was just traumatic that she never got over sometimes you have to go through things and again it's always one thing to read it it's another thing to live it I am a fan of reading, I find it entertaining, I find it educational, particularly business stuff. Sometimes marketing stuff, certainly the nutrition stuff, I read as much as I can on that. But then there are other things, the gifts that God gave me, the creativity, the arts, the intuition. I don't read many books on that. A, it's very natural. B... I don't want to be trained. I don't want to see it through most people's prism. I guess I could read every now and again some Jedi, but by and large, I want to have some original thoughts. I don't want to just combine other people's thoughts or, hey, this is my expression of their thoughts. I'd like to formulate some of my own thoughts. I'd like to still believe that somewhere inside of me, there is I can be original. When I make music normally, I make it out of a vacuum. I make it out of thin air. I don't listen to other people's music 90 Seven ninety-eight percent of the time I make music, I make it out of thin air. I'm doing something, I'm washing dishes, I'm walking, whatever, and a song comes to me and then I just start playing around with it. I play around with the lyrics, I play around with the hook. And I like it that way. That doesn't mean that I'm not influenced. Obviously, I'm influenced by the time and the generation that I grew up in and some of the sounds I've heard before. So I'm influenced by artists. But I'm not copying their song or blatantly imitating their song and then making a song. I don't do that. And I don't like that. And I think that that kind of regurgitation and imitation is disgusting. And it's rampant. And I think that you have to be careful. It's yin and yang. You have to balance reading books. You have to balance it. Because just reading, 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 where where will your uniqueness come Oh, my uniqueness will come from my expression of what I read in the book. Yeah. Oh, I read all the books to shorten my learning curve. Meh. Yes. But be careful. What's going to distinguish you? When does the real you come out? As opposed to the regurgitation you. As opposed to the imitation you. As opposed to being just being more of the same old, same old. Just being just like everybody else. Fitting in and, oh, I saw this. This public relations technique, I'm going to use it. I saw this marketing thing, and no original. Why? Why? What does it take to just trust yourself? Trust your own inner. Trust your own intuition. Trust your voice. Trust your gifts, and maybe your genes too. Do you need to read everything? Can you figure anything out for yourself? Right. What's the value? I mean, it's it's not about what to think. It's how to think. How to think. Have you learned how to think? Can you solve some of your own problems? Do you need a book to walk you through every problem? Or is there a time to put the freaking book down and think for yourself? Is there a time to surrender to something higher, something greater, have faith, and say, work through me? Do you think that Lincoln or or Ben Franklin or do you think they had Google at their fingertips to solve their problem and metadata for everything that they encountered? How did they figure anything out? How did Plato? How did Aristotle? How did they figure anything out? How did they write so eloquently? How? How did anybody produce anything it's like wow, that's incredible. Those, so some of the philosophy and, and the principles and life principles and some of the incredible things that were going. How did they figure anything out? They didn't have a library at their fingertips. They didn't have Google. How did they figure anything out? There must be something to quietude. There must be something to intuition. There must be something to inner voice. There must be something programmed. And if if only we could turn off a lot of what what we're bombarded with here. Maybe the answer is not just reading and taking in more data, more data, more data, more information, which is a popular line. Eh? Yin and Yang. Read a lot up to a point. I'm a voracious reader. And then turn it off and go into a cave and you'll be amazed how much you can figure out yourself. Just paying attention. Just paying attention in life and noticing little details and starting to think for yourself and figuring things out and solving problems yourself. Trusting yourself, not just the book you read. Not just the expert. Not just the, well, they have PhD behind their, beside their letters so they must have, that must mean that, yeah. Right? A lot of the PhDs are regurgitators. PhD means they went, they, they, they were taught to think a certain way they, and they, they passed the test of, hey, we, we read these people and we're able to... I mean, you can learn a lot just by living life, just by experiencing. There's a PhD in real life. Some people are just really, really smart. They can figure a lot of things out. I mean, a lot of times the science is trying to keep up with the artist. There's art and there's science. A lot of the science is just scientists seeing these great Jedi's and great artists and saying, "Wow, you're doing some incredible stuff over here. Can we study you and then systematize it? Systematize what you're doing, so we can uh, teach the other 98 percent who can't figure it out how to do it?" Right? The Jedi's are the Jedi's are, are operating on they're operating on another plane. A lot of them are, aren't looking at. They're ahead of the data. They're ahead of it. They're the ones writing the data. They're the ones telling you what the data should be. So yes, am I? Am I? Am I saying, hey, I'm not a fan of, of data? I'm a fan of data. That data can be can be useful as a guide. It's not a be all end all. Anybody who People that, that stomp and have... There are people out there, they're so scientific-minded, they have no respect for intuition. Intuition is like voodoo to them. And they have no respect for it whatsoever. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Bruce Lee used to say, hey, you're as tired as you think you are. Same with intuition. If you, don't, if you don't believe in that thing, it's voodoo to you, well, it's probably because you don't, you don't have... You, you, you don't believe in it, of course you, your intuition sucks then. Doesn't mean my sucks oh, we've done books and we've found that human... I don't doubt that most people have terrible intuition. Why? Because they're, they're programmed to be a herd. They're programmed to regurgitate. They're programmed in a low vibratory state. So I'm not surprised by that. But the fact that most people are bad at decisions and bad at predicting and bad at intuition does not mean they don't have it in them to be highly intuitive. They do. A lot of times, if, if for instance, if you're not a confident person, you're not. You're probably you're going to have flawed intuition. If you're operating in a fear state, which most people are, a lot of fears, high fear vibration, or is it size so, out? So, a low vibration, a fear vibration. Eh, it's going to be hard. It's going to cloud your intuition. You're probably not going to be good at intuition then. Intuition requires usually a lot of confidence. The greater your confidence, because you also need confidence in the intuition. And if you don't have confidence in the intuition, then even when intuition speaks, you ignore it. Yeah. Intuition to me is the highest power. I was talking at dinner last night. That's the highest. You say, what's the... Intuition to me is the, is the greatest, is absent of, of God and the, the higher power. It's intuition. And that's what the Jedis and geniuses have. And I think everybody has genius and Jedi in them at something different disciplines but most people just are too close-minded too narrow-minded too programmed too afraid to awaken to it to trust it to grow it to go beyond what they see I was talking to friend last night at dinner he talked about manifesting he had a little little different way he just he doesn't even see he doesn't see things in a time and space way so for instance if you said hey I want to manifest money and you were like I'm gonna manifest money and and in the old days if you wanted to manifest money you would imagine let's say that you had 10 million dollars and you had it in a vault and you could open that vault you could go you could grab the money and you could play with the money and bathe in the money whatever you wanted to do and just merely by interacting with it merely by touching it you would in, in that sense manifest it and attract it so you would physically interact with it and that might get gets you so used so comfortable to the money energy you might manifest even more of it the feeling of it well nowadays where money is moving to digital say well okay you might not be able to physically interact with that money have a watt pull a wad of cash out of your pocket which if you handle that in the right way you might attract even more cash you get used to having that wad if you attract even more of a wad well okay now it's digital currency it's just zeros it's just zeros on a screen and Ten digits, eleven digits, whatever, on a screen. So, if you wanted to manifest it, you might have to manifest differently. You'd have to close your eyes or whatever and start imagining that there's 50 million dollars in an account somewhere. You're going to, you're imagining it, the money's already in your possession. You're going to spend it. You're walking around with your credit card. You're walking to certain stores. You're paying. You know, you're you're paying for a house million whatever in your digital cash the transaction happens and so you imagine you already have it right it's already in your possession I am as opposed to I will I am I am I already have it in my possession you act like it you behave like it but it's different when it, when it's digital right so you, you have to sort of imagine and visualize in digital terms more and then imagine you're going and walking around places and paying in this digital way but in my friend's way, it's like, it's, it's even beyond that. It's like the, he, he doesn't even, he tries not to see things in time and space. It's like, it's as if this is just a matrix, as if all of this physical world is just illusion, right? So when he thinks of money, he just thinks of it, it's already, it's just, he doesn't imagine it needing to be to exist in a physical realm because to him, there really is no physical realm. He doesn't need to think of money in a tangible way. It doesn't need to exist in a physical world or imagining that it's going to exist in a physical world or in his hand or something or in a safe. it's, It's just on this mental plane where it exists for him very intuitive business person. That's his his intuition is very high functioning and suited to business. My intuition thus far has been better suited and aimed at creativity, the arts, writing, song, ideas, phraseology, photography, culinary, nutrition, Fitness. That has been the focus so far of my creative artistry. And now finally taking aim at the financial frontier. And so hanging out with people more like my friend, people who've done it his way is a very intuitive way. It's very hard even to teach it. You just would teach intuition, not necessarily all business. You would teach a lot of intuition. That's interesting, right? We teach people business concepts. We might teach them intuition. We might teach them to be better people. We might teach them to be more trustworthy and values because you can go very far in life just when people trust you. You can have all the business knowledge and read all the books, but if you're not a trustworthy person, if you're not an authentic person, if people don't really like you, right? be a high-quality human being. That's more to me than half the battle of being very successful. Be a high quality human being with values and honesty. Know your purpose. Be able to look people in the eyes and in 40-45 seconds they like you and they trust you. And then you throw in a little, you sprinkle in some intuition on top of that. The more the merrier. You can go a long ways right there without reading any books just by being a high quality human being and and having a lot of intuition and a lot of intention and knowing your purpose, you can go really far. Say, well, you got, you need to read all the books to get those things you just described, Frank. So that's why you're reading the books. Eh? No, we we could we could do a much better job as a society raising better people. It always amazed me. We could do a much better job but then it's like oh that gets too moral it's too moral focusing on values is just that's a moral domain they'll figure it out we should our biggest aim as a society should be to produce high quality human beings that should be number 1 and then maybe later we could teach everybody we should be teaching more people business and all that sort of thing and but our number one thing should be producing high quality humans with a great value system who love themselves, who respect others, who, who want to do good, who want to help others. To me, that should be the number one purpose of society. Anyway, still walking here. I'm More and more, I'm having this, this little district area to myself. I feel like Eckhart Tolle right now. I'm sitting on a park bench... And the Toll's classic line when he's there in Vancouver, which is a lovely city, arguably my favorite city. I've probably been the 28 or 29 different major cities around the world, maybe 30-something, I don't know. But that classic Eckhart Toll line, what could be better than this right now? Just sitting there in Vancouver. Love Vancouver, man. What well, could be better. It's learning to love the little things, learning to love. You Man, me learning to love Las Vegas, I couldn't stand this place for a long time. I just never imagined I'd be here 16 years. It's strange. Life has other plans sometimes. It, sometimes you just feel like there's a fate, there's a destiny, there's things that they seem like choices, but then sometimes you see some faraway relative who was never around and how much you have in common with them and you wonder oh how much of it's just DNA and destiny just fate Vegas has grown on me when I started to appreciate Vegas and like Vegas and make the best of it my life improved my happiness boosted and Things got a lot better. I just stopped fighting it. Just stopped swimming against this, swimming against the current. Like the Ethiopian guy told me the other day at Sambalati Cafe, life's what you make of it. This Ethiopian guy, a middle-aged guy about my age, had so much life and optimism in his eyes and it was interesting because today it was like serendipity I was on Facebook and what did I see Uh, this viral video advertising Ethiopia and all these great beautiful outdoor sites in Ethiopia like a wonderland and wow, that's interesting, I don't remember seeing anything in Ethiopia before, and I sit down with that guy, his name was, uh, what was it, Hakon, something like that, yeah, Hakon, which means H-O-K-O-N-E, something like that, it means friend of God, But I just thought, this guy's probably not had an easy life, but pretty darn happy, right? Just, he's grateful. There's opportunity all around us. We're very lucky. Especially here in the United States, at least. The opportunities we have. Old America, which to me, is the love, amor, rica, love of riches. But... I'm grateful, I hope you're grateful, and I hope that you will maybe consider that as I said, pain has its function, it has a purpose God knew what he, she, it was doing when they threw pain into the equation Okay, so you know where we're going So, as much as we don't like it, as much as we see suffering and it's a great teacher, is it not? I think, it's the, I think it's the greatest teacher in history. If you ask people, going back even your childhood, I ask it. remember, give me your first five or six childhood memories. If I ask you that, I can almost guarantee that 80 or 90% of the memories that jump to mind originally, there'll be something negative. It'll be the time you were in the hospital because something happened, or the time you fell or the time your mom was driving off and leaving you alone Abandoning you whatever the last time you saw your mom being at your dad whatever It'd be something traumatic because the brain works that way they're very vivid things registers and imprints on our brain pain is a great teacher I learned that lesson like I said that business, greatest business lesson I've ever gotten it wasn't a book it was an empty fridge the greatest business lesson I've ever received was having bills that I couldn't pay. Being humiliated when I had to ask my brother for money. Being humiliated because you wanted to take you wanted to buy your girlfriend a present and didn't have money for it. Those are the best business lessons ever. An empty fridge. Eating food you don't want to eat. Not not being able to drive somewhere because you don't even have the gas money to go there. Those are the, those are the most foundational, important business lessons of my life and many people's lives. Because that is the wake-up call. That's the real catalyst, the real motivation. Not... You know, you re- you can read things in books. I mean, look, Dale Carnegie's "How to Make Friends and Influence People" is a wonderful book. Napoleon Hill's "Think and Grow Rich" is a must-read. Got everything you need in there for business, and you should read and reread it as, as Bob Proctor did. But what I'm saying is, still before that, even before that knowledge, it's, it's the why. It's the why, and the whys can be multiple. There's not one why. You can have layers of different whys, and your whys can change in your life. The whys of something. But the why of business, that's it for a lot of us, for some people. It's like, go through it. Go through the hard times. You realize, okay, I need to step my game up. You say, well, you need to read 20 more books. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead, knock yourself out. I'm not saying you won't it won't help you and and scale and find your mentor that's all great yeah find a mentor find somebody who's where you want to be and all that stuff and mentor that's great but i think the two most important things are what i just said which is going through things in business that spark you that light that fire The fire and the determination and the desire is the most important thing. And where do you get that? Well, I'll tell you where I just got it. I got it through lack. I got it through humiliation. I got it through embarrassment. I got it through the stress, the burdens of how am I going to get out of this situation, finding how am I going to. Those were the best business lessons. The scars that really sparked me that when I look back and I say, well, people say, how'd you do it, Frank? How did you do this and this? And teach me how to make a million dollars or whatever. What I'll tell you, the most important lessons I would say is what I just told you. Not, I think, Think and Grow Rich is a wonderful book. Dale Carnegie's How to Make Friends, Influence People is wonderful advice on great attitude. Great. But i tell you what really made the difference. It wasn't reading it. It was living it. It was getting hit upside the head by life it was an empty fridge. As we say, many a great book was written on an empty stomach. And I think many a great business person was made and produced and created that burning desire on an empty stomach on some really bad, hard days. It just has a way of lighting a fire in you. So, Again, that's the upside of that pain, the upside side of that agony. And that will make you appreciate, make you appreciate later in life when something is like, wait, this isn't the most spectacular, but it's like, oh, sometimes pleasure is just the absence of pain. Sometimes the greatest pleasure is the absence of pain. Sometimes the best thing you'll ever drink in your life is just water, cold water after you've like close to dehydration or you're just super thirsty on a hot day. you want water to taste good, just be super thirsty, and then drink water. If you drink water on a full stomach, man, that's it. Yeah, water's, yeah, water's terrible. Yeah, you want to make it taste good? Be really thirsty on a really hot day. Exhaust yourself. Physical. Go out there, push yourself physically, and then get some water. It's a whole different ball game. Tastes pretty delicious then. So a lot of times, pleasure its not real pleasure just the absence of pain once you know how bad things can be when they're smoother sailing it can seem awesome because now you have a different prism you have a different measuring stick now you can appreciate like that ethiopian guy did um yeah why can't i think of his name i had it right earlier but like he's coming over here it's like he saw so much abject poverty it's like this is the greatest thing ever he ain't complaining about nothing He's not painting victim on his forehead. Because he's like, well, let me tell you what, Frank. I've seen way worse than this hallelujah that I'm here. This is great. This is great. People behaving better and less corruption. And you can go from the bottom to to at least a lot of the way up the top. This is great. It's all your perspective. It's all based on what you saw and how you want to see it. How you want to look at it. Glass half full, glass half empty. Of pleasure, It's just the absence of pain. You know, you got to go to the bathroom really bad. You ever had that? Sometimes, literally. I mean, for a lot of people, I'm not trying to be disgusting. I'm not trying to be gross. A lot of times, sometimes the best, best feeling of your whole day might be relieving yourself, going to the bathroom. If you ever really have to go, you know, you're, you're just, you know, you're rushing. You gotta. You've been holding it. You've been holding it. You finally you get into the bathroom and you lock it and then you you know you got to do what you do do whatever you do and a lot of times that release is incredible because it's like why because it's the what it's the it's the absence of pain it's not pleasure it's just the absence of pain it's like oh man you know you you made it you made it in time you don't have to have the stress you don't have to have the way what am I going to do can I get to the bathroom you don't have the urgency goes away and you can relax. You're relieved. Pleasure is the absence of pain. And in a lot of ways, that can be an incredible pleasure. And a lot of our life could just be, hey, knowing when you lived in the hood and you didn't have a, a family and your parents weren't around and you didn't know how you are going to pay things. When well, you just get those simple things, life can be pretty good. Everything else can be gravy. So you always have a choice. Glasses half full or the glasses half empty at the end of the day most of life's decisions boil down to that you're going to have things happen you're going to choose to see the glass is half full or the glass is half empty it's your, it's your call to me it's a no brainer we have no choice but to choose to see isn't that ironic that I just said that we have no choice but to choose to see it's so deep it's terrible but why would you why would you I mean, it's a no-brainer. You have to choose the glasses to be half-full the vast majority of the time. It's like, to me, the existence of God. I mean, we could sit here, atheists and agnostics, who I have many friends that are. And, of course, I was in my philosophy classes with all these atheists and agnostics, and they come up with some wonderful reasons and wonderful explanations that, hey, God doesn't exist because of this, this, this. And, hey, you have no proof. They... Man, they can have a field day and convince you that there is no God. You can't prove it, and it's not provable, or no one's proved it. And they just are so haughty and so arrogant, and like, yeah, they're just so smart patting themselves on the back. And it's like, I mean, listen, even if you were right, why would you choose that? You have the choice to believe or not believe. Why would you choose not to believe? I mean, why... Why would you? I mean, at the most, after this, at the end of the day, there's even if you say, "Hey, I don't believe in, I don't believe in God." It's like, okay, what well, what could be next? Okay, a state of nothingness, just an eternal sleep. That that doesn't that wouldn't be that bad, right? I mean, it's like okay, that's okay, eternal nothingness. I mean, it's deep sleep. I mean, I like sleeping, so okay, you just sleep. Okay, I'm okay with that. Or, there is God and there's something after this and life goes on. We are eternal energy. Energy can be neither created nor destroyed. Why wouldn't you just choose to believe that? I mean, you have a choice. If you guess wrong, what's the penalty? Eternal sleep? Yeah, you guessed wrong. I thought there was God. Oh, there's, there's not God. It's just a state of nothingness and I just sit here and I just eternally sleep. Eh. So what's the penalty for you being wrong? If you believe in God... What's the penalty for being wrong? Eternal sleep? Peace? Resting in peace? I'll take that bet every time versus, there's no God, there's no God, there's no proven God. And sitting here for five hours, verbal diarrhea, all these, you know, whatever. People waste years of their life and they celebrate, there's no God and whatever and all the bad things. If there was God, why are there these wars and whatever, whatever. Get me, trust me, I get it with all the bad things going on and you're like we're you know children of a lesser god why is god allow this to happen in these war zones things that are happening in like Syria and in different places and uh, it's horrible it's terrible it's angry i don't pretend by any means to know the mind of god i just know that at the end of the day that's just the choice Yea or nay and if you pick that there's no God and then there is I don't want to be on that side I don't so there's a hedge there in addition I believe for other reasons but you don't have to I do I'm not going to prosthetize. I'm just saying it's one example Like, just I don't, I don't know why there's a choice to be made there the glass is half full the glass is half empty we have no choice we gotta go we gotta always double down on half full that's the meaning that's the purpose of life is to try to be happy try to have that vibration even if you're just alone a lot of the time just try to try to have that light try to have that love and then anyway I'm it's getting late I'm I really apologize I'm I'm going on and on there but I'm so happy to have uh, some listeners right now, and I'm very confident we're going to have more and more and more talk about the art of thinking, the art of conversation, nutrition, fitness, and a bunch of other great things. Get some interesting and extraordinary people on this podcast. www.frankieforza.com. Email is frankie at frankieforza.com. Would love to hear from you any inquiries, feedback, suggestions, etc. Be well and thrive. And I hope that you'll join me again soon. All the best.